Hello and welcome to the Day in Sports Podcast, a jam-packed program for you today. We're going to recap the national championship where we saw Florida State crowned, a look back at Wild Card Weekend, Charlie Strong to Texas, NBA trades afoot, and answer me these questions coming up on the podcast. Welcome into the podcast, housekeeping, TDIS underscore humblebrag on Twitter, thedayinsports.com, thedayinsports on Facebook. This is the Fire in Your Belly Whiskey Edition. Yeah. We got lots to talk about, Ben. Fine, finely barreled, nice char. Yeah. Oak barrels, I Oak think. barrels. Always oak. Yeah. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Well, you can't really char other woods as well, I've found. Yeah. Um, Generally, I'm charring. Birch just burns too fast. Yeah, it does. And, and it's a little wet for my taste. Yeah. Yeah, moist. Great flavor. Um, let's take a look back, back to the future, at the BCS title game last night. Yeah. I know you caught most of it. Yeah. Um, halfway. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say I saw the better part of the second half. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of the part you wanted to see. Auburn got up early 21 to 3. Then there was three touchdowns in the final five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to get into, to Jameis Winston, who was super clutch. Um, kind of a tale of two halves and all that stuff, but I wanted to just touch on the mega cast that ESPN had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, somebody tweeted, I think Pablo Torre, who's an ESPN columnist, wrote, I'm on, uh, ESPN 37 eating a burrito bowl by myself, <laughs> which I thought was really funny because they literally had like every angle of the thing covered. But the best, I thought, was ESPN News. They had Kevin Sumlin and Chris Spielman, um, and a couple other coaches. Uh, as well as Matt Millen, who kind of almost ruined it by himself. Oh, yeah. Because he wouldn't stop talking. But that was really cool. He was probably just dreaming about drafting wide receivers the yeah. entire time. Yeah, he was like, I would take this whole group. All the wide receivers. I don't want any offensive linemen or defensive linemen. I would just trade up yep. all of Florida State's receivers. No quarterback. Um, but it was really cool to see someone especially break down the All-22. Um, all the coaches seemed to know that that fake punt was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing to, if you love sports and you like to learn more about it, get a deeper understanding, I thought this was kind of almost revolutionary in the way we watch sporting events. And it shows, with kind of their insight and knowledge, it shows that a lot of this is um, less controlled chaos than you'd think, and, and yeah. you know, that they do see some of the stuff coming, even if we all think, oh my god. Yeah, you know, what a shock. Yeah, and that there's so much going on that when we question, you know, a coaching decision, there's about 18 other factors that we have we don't know is going on. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, I just thought that was really cool. But let's get into the game a little bit. Um, James Winston really struggled in the first half. He yeah. kind of looked befuddled. Like I'm not. I, they had won every other game this year by I think 14 plus points. Yeah. Um, so clearly he wasn't used to it, but um, kind of a typical. Jameis Winston passion, he was he was clutch when he needed to be. You know what I thought was really interesting? Um, in the first half, Auburn seemed to get, I mean, from watching the replays and stuff, seemed to get a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. And they were kind of showing that clock, uh, the quarterback clock, and how much time he had, and it was mm-hmm. like less than two seconds. Yeah. Know, 1.7 seconds. And in the second half, he didn't have much more time, but they put him in situations where he could succeed. Um, where he had a hot read and, and, you know, yeah. all he had to do was make that quick throw and get the ball out of his hands. Uh, it really was, I, I thought he was very resilient. He didn't, 
throw any interceptions. He did have a fumble, but um, he could be a really good football. He's dumber than a pile of bricks, but he could be a great football player. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're exactly right. The way they kind of adjusted, um, when they were down 21-3, there was a play, and it was just kind of a short route, and, and the receiver ended up dropping it, but it was like the first open receiver Florida State had had all game. And I remember someone saying, I know that's a three and out and it looks bad, but they just found something that's going to work. And it's the quick passing game. And then the fake punt changed the momentum. They go down and score. And, and like you said, the, the kind of change in game plan, it didn't look as sexy as James Winston throwing beautiful 50 yard bombs, but he found a way, um, which is what you have to do. I mean, if you look at the stats, Florida State was two for 12 on third down. Auburn was 10 out of 18. Uh, Florida State lost time of possession 34 minutes to 26. FSU was more penalized. Trey Mason ran for almost 200 yards, and Auburn outgained Florida State by about 80 yards, 70 or 80 yards. So all the stats would point to an Auburn victory, but Florida State just kind of found a way, steadied the ship, and and I thought that was what was most impressive about this team is they blew everyone's doors off, but when they needed it, they they really came through in the clutch. Yeah, and they didn't look overwhelmed by the situation or like they didn't really shrink away from the fact that, hey, this is the first time we've been down. Yeah by 18 points this season. Um, I, I was really, I guess, kind of back to the Winston thing, what I thought was most impressive about what he did was, yeah, he made the adjustments, but basically the coaches said, this is what you need to do, and he executed it to a T. Yeah, and, uh, you know, great football player, but like you said, probably the worst, most irritating post-game oh. interview in sports. I think he went third person about 500 times. Oh, my God. Um well, he's also, I mean, what is he, 19? 20. He, 20. Just, he turned 20 yesterday, so, so it was his birthday. He Maybe he'll wisen up a little bit, hopefully. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted because I like the, the confidence, but I don't like the cockiness, you know yeah. what I mean, out of a quarterback. And you would think with all the off-the-field stuff that happened to him, even though obviously he didn't get convicted of anything, you would think that would introduce a little humility. i got to kind of look at myself from the outside and see what can I do better. But it looks like it almost just emboldened him more. Yeah. Um I don't know what to make of his personality. I really like watching him. It is. It's just like, you know, I I loved watching him play football, even, you know, in some of those plays last night. But like you said, as soon as he opened his mouth, it almost ruined it. Yeah, I know. I was kind of like, oh, I wish Auburn would have won that. It's like that really attractive woman that you just don't want to talk. Talk. Ever. Um, And then the last thing, my last note on the national championship, and then we'll get into some other stuff, is James Winston has another year in school. Um, He will be. You know, kind of like Clowney was this past year, the undisputed number one pick until he's not. Yeah. But especially at quarterback, and you know, Florida State's going to lose a lot of talent to the NFL, but they're also going to bring a lot in. Um, and he's the most important. Piece. And he's the most important piece. You're right. And I, I don't know how with a championship and a Heisman under his belt, I can't see him doing anything but getting better. Um, so I would assume Florida State will will open the year as as number one, and I, I believe Auburn will return Trey Mason and and their quarterback Marshall. Um, so both teams are in a real good position going forward. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Winston can, after this, can keep his head to a moderate size and not make any off-the-field transgressions because he thinks he's God. Yeah, a la sort of Johnny Manziel, yeah. who had minor transgressions, but definitely had a little trouble with the spotlight. Um, another college football topic, Charlie Strong from Louisville moves over to Texas. Uh, what did you think of the move? For, I like for it. Texas. For Texas, it was a, I think it was a great hire. Yeah. Um, he's the kind of personality I think that you would want in in that position, especially you know in in Texas where football is you know everything. King. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for him. 
and it'll be really interesting to see what he does going forward. I mean, it could go either way, really. Yeah, he's the first, uh, I believe, the first black coach in major Texas uh, athletics uh, in their history, which is pretty cool. Um, he was also kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, Texas was pretty late to the integration part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not really surprisingly, but 37-16 and 16, uh, record at Louisville, 3-2 and two in bowl games. One thing that I think is kind of being underrated is that he recruited and shaped Teddy Bridgewater, mm -hmm. who may very well go number one. And there's something like 20 quarterbacks in the NFL right now that are from the state of Texas. That's a hotbed uh, of, of, I mean, when, James Winston's from Texas. Yeah. And that's that's a really hot, uh, probably the number one or two recruiting state in the country. So I think the fact that he can say, look what I did at Louisville, look what I did for Bridgewater, is really going to help their recruiting. Um and to be honest, I think having a black young head coach helps recruiting too. Um, I, I, you know, I think, well, I'll ask you, what do you think are reasonable expectations for Texas football next year and then moving forward? I think, and just to kind of say it too, I think it's, this is a huge thing for Texas's image. Yeah. I um, do. it kind of shows that they're not still stuck in the past, yeah. which is good. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, I would temper expectations a little bit. I mean, with, I feel like with college football, when you bring in a new coach, you really have to give it more time than you would, say, in the NFL or elsewhere, because so much of what these guys do is based on recruiting and implementing their system and getting the right people for their system. Um, so, I mean, reasonably, I, I would expect them to be 500-ish yeah, or maybe a little bit better, and that would be a really positive sign. At least kind of similar to, to this past year, maybe eight, nine years. Yeah, yeah and, I mean, make make a bowl game. And um, and go from there. I think, especially at some of the the skill positions, they've they've got some work to do and yeah. some building to do. But I I do think that, um, you know, if you can get into a bowl game this year and then continually improve, that the sky's the limit. Yeah, and and there will certainly be no shortage of money resources. Uh, they have their own television network, so um, they've got everything at their disposal. If he can kind of rein in those resources and use them right, uh, like you said, I think the sky is the limit. Um. Let's look at, let's go from amateur to pro. Yeah. Little wild card weekend recap. It, it was wild. It was wild. I clearly, our brain trust here is a little off. We did not do good with no. our picks. They One were, and three. They although, were close games, though. I will say the Chiefs, you know, if you had told me they were going to be up 38-10, I would have picked them again. <laughs> but yeah. they ended up losing 44-45. to um, You know, the Chiefs started 9-0. and then they end 11-5, and five, lose in the first round. It was a great turnaround season. Um, I thought it validated Alex Smith as not a great, but a good starting quarterback, and Andy Reid is a very good coach. But ultimately, they had more talent than the Colts, and but, but all year they couldn't beat the really good teams. Mm -hmm. Well, and I really do think that they get a pass on this one. There were so many fluky defensive injuries. Yeah, Jamal Charles went down. Jamal Charles went down, and and then um, on the defensive side, they lost several players. Yeah, I I just and Holly and Houston were were kind of banged up for the whole second half of the year. Yeah, I I especially because the they their loss was kind of pinned on a defensive collapse. Yeah, I think they get a little bit of a pass still though. Forty five points. What was thirty five in the second half? Um, what was your reaction? I know Andrew Luck, obviously, with three interceptions, dug himself that hole. Mm -hmm. um, but he just kind of, it's like the legend of Andrew Luck. It just keeps growing. And mm -hmm. it seems like the thing that is so incredible about him is, regardless of scoreboard or situation, he just keeps playing the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like he's smarter than the situation. 
you know, if we lose, we lose, but I'm going to lose playing this way. Yeah. What did you think of, of his performance? I, I thought it was, the second half was great. I mean, he was yeah. really gutty. Um, and he didn't, another kind of a situation where he didn't get overwhelmed by where he was or overwhelmed by the hole they were in. Um, they kind of took the mindset of, we may lose this game, but let's at least go out and try and make it as close as we can. And it, they won. Yeah. So, um, I think he, you know, if he keeps playing like that, he could end up being one of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, he has all the tools mentally. He seems to be on top of his game. And he's, I mean, he's he's big, he's physical, and he's durable, and he's got a great arm. He's I mean, the goods. Yeah. Um, Saints over the Eagles. Uh, again, we picked the Eagles. We got that wrong on a last-second field goal. Yeah. So I'm not going to feel too bad about that either. Um, my question is, you know, the Eagles, I, I think you look at it, coming off of what happened to them last year, just a debacle. Michael Vick gets hurt. They start Nick Foles, kind of unproven rookie head coach and Chip Kelly, and they go 10-6. and six. I think it's, regardless of what happened in the playoffs, a, a huge success uh, for them uh, on the season. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, totally, especially um, knowing that they have a franchise quarterback that looks like in yeah. Nick Foles. I mean, that's, that's a, they're in a better spot, I think, now than they were going into this season. Michael Vick is, uh, you know, he had, was a great football player, but, I mean, his career is, is all but over. Yeah, he's aging, he's injury prone, he, he relied on so much athleticism, which is starting to slip away, and... His, his mental acuity seems to be slipping a bit, too. Yeah, he just, well, he's never been real sharp at dissecting defenses, and I just think it's kind of interesting, we all thought, you know, Chip Kelly needs a super fast or athletic quarterback, and then Nick Foles is the guy, 6'6", kind of pocket passer, yeah. um, but has been perfect for that system. I wanted to ask... What do you think the Eagles need going forward? Obviously, I think they need help on defense, but they've got Sean McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, Nick Foles, and a really good offensive line. Um, are the Eagles capable of taking that next step next year? I think so. I, if I were to point to at least offensively, one thing that I think they need is like a big bodied possession wide receiver. I, I think the same thing. Um, no, a little bit of, little bit of thunder to Deshaun Jackson's lightning. Yeah. Uh, your Keyshawn Johnson type. Yeah. Just give him the damn ball. Um, yeah, someone who's gonna who's gonna run really nice, you know, uh, button hooks and like little curl routes that you can just throw the ball to them, and they're they're big enough that they can just go get it. red zone target. Uh, big red zone target, and maybe um, I mean, and I guess you could accomplish that with either a, a big bodied wide receiver or a really top end tight end, your Rob Gronkowski type. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if they get a big target that they can go to, I think that they'll be right back in that conversation next year. I think it's interesting that you say that because I was listening to Nick Saban during the college pregame last night. He was really good. But he was talking about receiving cores, and it was kind of, to your point, he said, I look at receiving cores like a basketball team. You need a power forward. You need your shooting guard. You know, you kind of need guys that your big receiver, your red zone guy, Deshaun Jackson can kind of be your shifty slot guy. So I think, you know, and they drafted some young tight ends, and they've got Zach Ertz there. I think you're right. If, if they could get one of those six five uh, targets, like that that kid from Florida State who who had the the winning touchdown, I think it was Benjamin. Yeah. Um, that would that would be really a nice compliment. How about the way he kind of diverged just for a second? The way he hung in the air. Yeah. I, I, it was like he's just looked like Jordan. I, right. Yeah. I, that was unreal. I, that was cool. Yeah. People really complimented the throw, but I thought I actually thought the throw was a little bit behind. It him. was. It was a little late. Yeah. Yeah. So fantastic play there. Um, I wanted to ask about the Saints, who, it's kind of weird. They're 11-5. and five. Yeah. They kind of started the year um, as, like, boy, this is a scary team, a scary offense. Real hot. And I think people have backed off them a little bit. 
Are the Saints, I don't want to get into predictions because we'll probably do that on Thursday. Yeah. Um, are the Saints better prepared uh, to go to Seattle given that they did it once already? I mean, albeit they lost 34 to 7. But are they better prepared having already seen the environment once in Seattle? I'm not sure. I was just thinking about that. Um, I'm actually leaning more towards no, just because of the the what for and why whooping they received <laughs> up, up there up there in Seattle. Uh, it, that's almost like a, a specter. I think that's going to hang with them a little bit um, and maybe cause some consternation leading up to that, and they're going to worry about it a lot. Yeah, and you can't go into there. You know, playing tight at all because they're just that defense will eat you alive. Yeah, and one thing I think San Francisco has proved is even if you play in the same division and you go there every year, yeah, there's really no way to prepare. No, um, it's it's because it's it's you know, jarring. You can you can prepare for it all you want. You know, Sean Payton talked to Brett Favre about before their first game in Seattle about what um, Brett and the Vikings did when they came down to the Superdome to deal with the noise and stuff like that, and these special earplugs and all this yeah. stuff. Clearly, that didn't work at all. No. So it's like the common cold. There's just no cure for that amount of noise. I mean, you can't communicate. People. It's the the. It's probably loud enough that it literally makes you feel physically ill. Yeah. What do you do? It's I a little mean, frightening too. It's I think. Really frightening. Um, it's it's almost like there's kind of a rage in the air. Yeah. Um, and especially for a team like the Saints that rely on timing and Breeze will make adjustments at the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be worrisome for me. Um, but again, we'll break down more of those matchups in our in our next podcast. Um, Chargers, the biggest underdogs of the weekend. The Bengals were eight and zero at home. Just put an app. The Chargers just spanked the Bengals, twenty seven to yeah. ten. Um, what was more surprising, I thought, was their defensive performance. It was awful. Above, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, yeah, they lost Geno Atkins and Leon Hall, but but they had kind of recovered and were again playing really good defense. Um. I guess my first question is, what did the Bengals do with Marvin Lewis? He's he's zero and five in the playoffs as, as the head man there. I, you know, the Bengals have been such a downtrodden franchise. It's almost like the Jim Schwartz thing, where they almost didn't want to fire him because they had had at least some success with with Detroit under Schwartz. Do the Bengals look at getting rid of Marvin Lewis, or is it too much of a good thing right now? I'm a Marvin Lewis fan. Okay. Um, but I still think, I mean. I guess I would take one or two approaches, give him one more year, and if he doesn't win a playoff game, then he's out, or you just do it now. I mean, I, I don't know what it is about uh, that team. That I mean, in the postseason at home, you can't put up more than 10 points against a Chargers defense that, you know, was good. But, but not great. But not the, you're not going up against the best in the league or anything like that. And you've got Dalton, you've got A.J. Green, you've got yeah. two good Huge tight ends. Weapons. Yeah. Huge weapons. Huge weapons. I, I Gresham. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just no excuse for that. And yeah, Gio Bernard fumbled on the goal line. There was, there was some, but you gotta be able to overcome stuff like that. Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that was a big thing. Obviously turnovers. I think Andy Dalton had a fumble in there too. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I, it's been long enough that I would probably just cut him loose. There's enough. Depth out there, I think, right now amongst the NFL's coordinators yeah. and enough promise in some of them that why not? I mean, look at all the people that are interviewing for some of these jobs. I mean, yeah, there's, there's some hot names out there. out there. Tons of them. Um, the game of the weekend, I thought. Niners, Packers. Yeah, definitely. It was freezing cold. Great game. Um, was your heart in your throat? My heart was in my throat as a huge 49er fan. I was, my five month old Silas was like just ogling me like the whole time. He wasn't upset. Even though I was. You were. 
Um, but he was just like, what is wrong with this guy? Man? They can't, they're can't losing this serious. He's losing it. Um, but yeah, I was, I was going nuts. And I think you could tell how, I think the 49ers were not only playing the Packers, they were playing that crowd, they were playing the elements. Yep. And I think even though Green Bay was an eight, seven and one team, they were six and two with Rodgers. And in those elements, I think that's about as tough a victory as you could probably come up with. Yeah. Um, Eddie Lacy though. Yeah, um, the, let's touch a bit on the Packers. I think their defense played better than it had all season. Yeah. Really, I think the Packers, um, and Eric t- texted me this too. The Packers played their their best game, and it just wasn't quite good enough. Yeah, uh, I mean Eddie Lacy and Aaron Rodgers going forward. I don't think there's a quarterback running back duo I'd rather have than those two. No, I, the only um, the only downside I think to Eddie Lacy is. I, I would like to see him in a, just maybe a little bit better condition. Yeah, he's so... I can't tell if he's just huge and thick or maybe a little out of shape. Um, maybe just... I think he's just... Car- I mean, he carries a lot of weight, obviously. But, yeah. I mean... That's part of his power. Ten pounds yeah. to the lighter. Just get him get him a little little leaner. Couldn't hurt. But, yeah. I For a guy as big as he is doing what he does, it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, and, and for a rookie in a playoff game in yeah. those conditions, he was, I mean, he was knocking over Navarro Bowman. Yeah. He was laying Dante Whitner on his butt, and those are some of the hardest-hitting guys in football. He wasn't afraid of the moment. He was dragging, he was dragging people around. I mean, and yeah. big, talented defensive players yeah. were literally hanging on to him for dear life going, please, someone help me. Yeah, it was almost Adrian Peterson-esque the way he kind of he physically put his, his stamp uh, on that game. Mushroom stamp, if you will. Much like that. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, let's take a quick little break ski. Um, we're going to come back. Andrew Bynum, Luol Deng swapped in the NBA. We're going to look at some NHL stuff too. That'll give you a little update. Uh, and much more coming up on the other side of this brief break. Ready? Okay. Let's talk some NBA, Ben. I'm ready. ready. I am so... I, I got my headband on. Yeah. I've been polishing my hardwood floors. Smoking pot. Smoking... I, I'm i not going to admit to that. Okay. Well, I just... just, just I'm not going to self-incriminate myself. That's true. Andrew Bynum and Ruol Deng swap for each other. So here's, here's the basic mechanics of the deal. Um... Andrew Bynum goes to the Bulls. He's going to get waived then, so he won't play any games for them. It's just a salary cap move, but then they get uh, one first-round pick and two seconds. So basically, they get three marginal picks for what is an all-star coming back in Luol Deng. Um, the Cavs now get Luol Deng, lose some some picks, but they're trying to... I mean, they've had the number one pick a number of times over the past few years, so the Cavs are trying to make a bit of a push. Now they've got Kyrie Irving, Deion Waiters, Luol Deng. They've got some young talent, but they're 11-23 and 23 right now, so kind of a... a Curious move. Um, obviously, the Cavs, even though they're 11 and 23, the East is so bad that they're not out of a playoff spot right now. So, I think it was a way for them to acquire a, a near all-star level player to put with their their young core. And then for the Bulls, it kind of looks like we're starting over. We're getting rid of Luol Deng, which is going to save them about 15, 20 million dollars. Um, going to wait for Derrick Rose to get healthy, and then you may see, I think, Carlos Boozer leave. Um, either via trade or or, or uh, via amnesty this this upcoming year. So did you did you like the move for both teams or what do you think? 
My calves hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting a long time for that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess so. Um, on Chicago's part, it seems like a very fiscally responsible thing to do. Yeah, it seemed almost maybe a little early. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I know... Especially in the East. Yeah, Deng, you know, Deng is only 28. Uh, I know he was going to be a free agent, but you probably would have been able to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. If not, that's that space, uh, you know, in the upcoming year. And, and the first round pick probably isn't even going to be a lottery pick. And then you get two second round picks, which generally in the NBA don't even make the team. Yeah. Um, so you really got nothing except relief from the luxury tax. Um, it kind of shows you, I think, what they think of how long it's going to take Derrick Rose to get back to his, uh, original status or form. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, it, it kind of is, you know, Hey, with Luel Deng, we can be solid but never great. Mm-hmm. This is a move to let's acquire some assets, save some money, and then when Derrick Rose gets healthy, let's try to find that one other piece in free agency to bring in and kind of make a a, a new core. Yeah, and I and I think you know they're looking at this probably as you know we'll take this upcoming season to get Derrick back to where we want him to be and hopefully find some pieces that jive well with him and what he does and and really get back into contention maybe for the following season. And then uh, one kind of interesting, maybe the biggest thing for this season is Andrew Bynum's going to become a free agent. Yeah. Um, and not a, not a great player anymore. Uh, when he was healthy and actually in shape, the last time he played for the Lakers, he was 20 points and 12 rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was probably for that one season the best center in the game. But he's not that anymore. His knees are falling apart. He's he's a little overweight. But And his attitude sucks. And his attitude sucks. But he's always the type of guy where... If the surroundings are good, he can be good, like with the Lakers. Right. Um, but if things are going bad, like when the Lakers were getting swept by the Mavericks, he's throwing J.J. Beret to the ground and ripping his shirt off and walking off the court. Um, <laughs> but I think he may end up in Miami. He's a healthier version of Greg Oden. Yeah. And anytime Andrew Bynum's healthier than you, that's a really bad sign. Yeah. But I think maybe he gives Miami, if he goes there, 15 minutes a night of a seven foot one guy that's nearly 300 pounds and can kind of give them an element they, they don't have. If if he doesn't find somewhere soon here to land and at least contribute a little bit for the few next few years, his career is over. He got fifteen million dollars from Philly last year for not playing a game. Now he's getting six million or twelve million this year uh, uh, from the Cavs, and he's playing twenty minutes a night, eight points and five rebounds. Now, if you take that eight points and five rebounds and put it in the middle for Miami, like I said, I, I think that's helpful to them, but. Yeah, kind of a curious thing that's happened to his career, and I just wonder if he's so unhealthy that he's just frustrated by it. The curious case of Andrew Bynum. Of Andrew Bynum. Yeah. He's aging in reverse. Yeah, he's certainly still growing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, like I said, I think at this point, for what you're going to pay for him, I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah. I, I just I don't know how you could justify bringing in a guy who's that injury-prone, who has missed that many games, whose attitude is that bad, and pay him several million dollars and just hope that you're going to get kind of middle-of-the-road production out of him. Hopefully 15 minutes a yeah. night. Now, I don't know the the logistics of it. I You know, I know he'll be getting paid by the Cavs, so maybe he takes a sweetheart deal to go play for the Heat for the veterans minimum, knowing I'm already getting, you know, $6 million from Cleveland and I just want to win. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this is kind of Andrew Bynum's last shot. Does he want to win? I don't know. I don't know. He won so much early. He's yeah. got so much money. I really don't think he cares. But if there's a place that can make him care, it's LeBron and Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade. Oh, yeah. Guys. Well, you're not going to – there's nowhere to hide there. Yeah. yeah uh, the spotlight's pretty bright. You can't just really blend in. Um, 
I think he just wants to sit on his couch and eat pizza, just like me. Yeah, I wish I got six million for that. Yeah, oh god, I don't get anything. Um, the Warriors, um, kind of a, a team I've been watching all year, um, started something like twelve and twelve, but they've won nine straight. They've got five guys that can score twenty points on a given night. I've got an article coming up uh, on the on the blog about them, um, but I I can't remember a team uh, in the league that has so many guys that can put the ball in the hole. They've got. David Lee, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, uh, Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes. Um, do you think the, that the Warriors, given that offensive firepower, have a chance to, to go on and win it all? They're from uh, Mexico? Yes. The Warriors? The Mexico Warriors. The Mexico, Gold, Mexico City Golden State Warriors. Gold digging Warriors. Um, I do. I, I think um, they've got a lot of really young talent paired with some guys that play their roles very well. And... You know, out in the West, it's tough out there. It is. It's it's a little bit more competitive than your than your shambles of the Eastern Conference, where but the where the Toronto Raptors are trying to tank, even though they're the three seed. I do. I I do think so. I mean, I think with Steph Curry, maybe who maybe you know the best young player in the game, if not one of the yeah. best players in basketball all around, um, you always have a chance. I. I tend to root for Golden State. I'll, I'll they're fun. There. Yeah, they're a fun team. The the fans there are really good at Oracle Arena, even though they've been bad up until the last oh, couple yeah. years. And Steph Curry, 23 points and 10 assists per night. I mean, those are Chris Paul numbers plus six points yeah. and, and long-range shooting. He, he's a legit MVP candidate to me. It's like Chris Paul and Reggie Miller had a baby in yeah. Steph Curry. Yeah, and then they just gave it to Del Curry. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Who's Del? His daddy. Oh, yeah. His daddy. Um... Mellow for Blake Griffin is a trade that's been bandied about by me. I yeah, made it up. You did. You you let's let it be known that you you I raised this. that point months ago. Yes, I did. I thought salaries would work. I thought Blake Griffin gives New York a young building block. Carmelo gives the Clippers kind of that half court option um, because if you look at Blake, he's basically nothing more than a lob catcher. Yeah, and, and he puts up really nice uh, production. But I think in the playoffs, Mellow. Gives you that go-to guy alongside Chris Paul. I think that would be um, a good fit. Doc Rivers called the possibility ridiculous and stupid, which probably means the deal is almost imminent. Right. Um, yeah. Anytime they react like that, there, there, there's probably something to it. They're hiding something. What do you think um, of my genius yeah. predicting the trade? No. What do you think of of, of the deal? I the potential. Deal. I guess in this, I think I may have said this when we broached the subject originally. I think it actually works out pretty well. Um, Blake Griffin's going to put a lot of butts in the seats in New York. Mm-hmm. It's a good market for him. Um, he's a very marketable athlete. Yeah, he's and, funny too. And, and he's flashy. He is funny. Um, yeah. but he's flashy. You know, he, he, Lob City. That's kind of goes well for New York right now, considering that they're not really all that competitive. They're not going to win with either guy. It, it doesn't make you, yeah, marketably better or worse. Yeah. No matter what you do with the swap, but, but they're, the, they're out of things anyway. Yeah. And, and Blake is on a five-year contract. Yeah. Whereas Carmelo is going to be a free agent. You know, I've, I've given Blake some, some crap for not being a, a great all-around player, but I would still give him 15 million or 16 million dollars a year to come in and give me 20 points and 10 rebounds. Well, and it's, it's revenue. From yeah. New York's standpoint, it's just, he's going to give them a, a better revenue stream, uh, kind of freshen up or liven up what they've got going on. And then on, on the other side of it, um, I really think pairing Carmelo with Chris Paul is that could be a dangerous duo. Yeah, um, you got kind of the ultimate distributor with the ultimate yeah, scorer. Yeah, a guy a guy that's um, 
That's all he really does. Not a great defender. Not great at much else other than scoring. He, you know, is unaware of the pass. Doesn't yeah. know it's a. He thinks it's against the rules. But at the same time, you know, he uh, in the right situation can be a cold blooded killer. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we saw when he had those good teams in Denver around uh, around him. He took them to the West Finals. Yeah. almost beat the Lakers uh, to get to the finals uh, four or five years ago. And and you know, you could put him and JJ Redick on the court to space the floor. Yep. Chris Paul, um, you know, gets in the lane, and then you've got a, a, a super freak in DeAndre Jordan mm-hmm. uh, guarding the rim. I just think that if you played Melo at power forward, DeAndre Dor- Jordan does everything that Melo can't in terms of uh, anchoring the paint defensively. And and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan are almost too similar, just kind of one dim- one dimensional athletes, big guys too. Um, yeah. what, let's look at it from a sabermetric standpoint. Yeah. Oh, you said what's Blake averaging? I think he's wise. probably about 22 and 10, 21 and 10. Okay. And I, Carmelo's... Probably about 25 a game. You know, you know, so you're getting... I mean, if you look at it from um, the Clippers' standpoint, you're getting four points yeah. a game extra. And you're not losing... Uh, Rebounding-wise, I think DeAndre would just fill that yep. hole for you. And Carmelo's a big guy. Yeah. I mean, he can play the post. He can shoot mid-range. He can, he can isolate. He can shoot the three. He's good in the pick and roll. Yeah. So I think offensively it just multiplies your options. And then, like we said, if you're New York, you get a, a nice young talent. It makes a lot of sense for both teams, I think. Doesn't well, it? Looks like I knew what I was talking about. Right? Right there. Pod 5. Pod 5. Um, NHL quick hit update. Are you ready? Yeah, I was actually going to... Uh, can, can you give me your thoughts on the Winter Classic? Just We haven't podcasted since then. That yeah. was awesome. Wasn't that I cool? watched a lot of the game. I never watch hockey. Yeah. I watched almost that whole game, almost just because of the setting. Yeah. You got to see the big house. It was cold. There was snow on the ice. They were shoveling it off. Slowed the game down a little yeah. bit, but but really, really fun to watch. I thought it was I thought it was great. It was great for hockey. You got 105, 106,000 people watching one hockey game. That's great. That's awesome. Hockey needs to and we've talked about this. Hockey it is a person like me who doesn't watch hockey. They don't market it the right way. They don't market it the right way and that right there was marketing it the right way. Yeah. Cuz I watched the whole game uh-huh. and and I don't know that much about uh-huh. it. I just like the the aesthetic of it. The the game itself is beautiful to watch. And it's almost better that it that it, it was slowed down a little bit because yeah. you I mean even for most people, you know, an indoor hockey game moves so quickly you, you can hardly tell what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Add a little bit of snow and things slow down a little bit and it really, you can follow it, follow the puck and, and you know, it's just easier to watch it. And the elements also made it so, you know, they have a stoppage in play to clear the to clear the snow. The announcers can kind of break things down for you. Yep. They can pan around, show you the big house. It was just a great Great scene. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, having it mic'd up, I almost think the NHL, um, and HBO, and we've talked about this too, should, should live stream some of that stuff. Yeah. Cause I think that'd be another great way to market it. And it went to a shootout. How, how yeah. much better could it have ended? You yeah, know, it was perfect. From a fan standpoint, especially when you don't really, I mean, I was, I would prefer to see Toronto win because I'm, I'm not a big Red Wings fan. Yeah. But either way, I don't really care. And, you know, to, to watch those two teams go right down to the end in the shootout outdoors, it was just cool. It was it, really neat. Yeah, with with five times the normal crowd, yeah. you know, cheering them on. It, it was it was really cool. Some um, good goals, too. Some really good goals in that game. It was, a, it was a, I thought, a well-played game, even though it was a slower-paced game. James Van Riemsdyk for Toronto, uh, their first goal, he, like, baseball slapped it out of the air, top yeah. shelf. That was neat. I it's pronounced James Vanderbeek. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, Dawson's Creek. Give me some other NHL quick hits. What's going on? I wanted to, well, I think uh, a good quick hit topic. Yeah. Uh, we could talk a little bit about 
the wild card situation in both the Eastern and Western Conference side. Okay. That is the appropriate plural, if you didn't know. Yeah. Conference side. You're an English major, so it makes sense. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but it's, you know, speaking of Detroit and Toronto, both those teams kind of going at it for uh, two wild card spots in the East, and they're currently both holding down those wild card spots in the East. 48 points, 47 points, uh, Detroit and Toronto, respectively. Kind of adds a little element to that whole yeah. series. The 24 makes, makes it more year. exciting. Yeah, it really does. Um, and then Carolina kind of hanging in there with 45 points, and, and the Rangers and also Ottawa clumped in there. Um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen in the East. Who's a team right now, take the whole league, um, that maybe people aren't talking about? It's it's not the Blackhawks or the Bruins or, or you know, Pittsburgh. Right. A team that we don't, maybe is a little under the radar, but you think could go on a run. Um you know, do the Wild have that potential, or does somebody else come to mind? I think the Wild are on the decline right now. They've got some really key injuries. The goal, their goalie's on the IR now, isn't he? Yeah, and they're not playing well. And in, in hockey, IR is that means you miss a week. At okay. Least. okay. Um, but uh, I really think Anaheim is going to have a really good shot at going to the Stanley Cup. Um, they're really good at home on their home ice. You know, they're probably as good as anyone else in hockey. And, you know, they're, they're underrated. They're in the Pacific Division. They're a team in California. You know, you don't really think of them as a classic, you know, hockey team, hockey town, whatever. But they're big. They're physical. They're fast. They control the puck. They hold the puck in their offensive zone really well. They don't let opposing teams, you know, get down the ice real well and, and, and score in transition. Um, I, I really do think out of, out of the West that they're going to be Probably one of the top two teams, one of the last two teams, yeah. And then outside of that, you know, San Jose is also good, but um, I, I don't see them really doing much in that in that division, especially with Anaheim. And then, you know, in the East, um, it's kind of, I mean, you can see the Atlantic is, is relatively competitive um, through the first five teams. You got, like we said, Detroit and Toronto um, kind of holding down those two wildcard spots right now. So that's one, two, three, four, five. Uh, teams in the Atlantic that would be in the playoffs. How are my dudes from Winnipeg doing? Um, it's not going real well. Damn. But that's okay. The hinterland. The hinterland. I have no idea where Winnipeg. It's somewhere in Canada. It is. I uh, can confirm that. It is. I just like to assume it's somewhere in the Arctic Circle. Uh, it's not. It's actually really close. It's the closest can major Canadian city to where we are sitting right now. Their ice skating rink is actually part of a glacier. It is. In the middle of the ocean. That's not true. Um, it seems like it would. But and then in the Metropolitan, Pittsburgh is uh, playing really well. Obviously, um, I think three or four points behind uh, Chicago and uh, Anaheim for the best in, in hockey. But the rest of that uh, division, kind Metropolitan, of is just a bunch of turds. Yeah, hanging out with each other, um, almost twenty points behind um, behind the Penguins. So. That's gross. Can I ask you one other question? Yeah. This is um, actually another HBO reference. I watched uh, about the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, the Broad Street Bullies. I, yeah. I watched a documentary about them in the 70s um, when they had just kind of expanded uh, from the original six. And then um, nobody was at the games, you know, to start with. And then they started beating the hell out of everybody and had crushed the all-time record for fighting in penalty minutes. Um, do you rem you know, obviously you weren't, we weren't alive yeah. for that, but... Is, is that something that, that hockey fans harken back to? Is that kind of a signature moment in hockey? I think that 
it, it kind of shows you how important that old school physical nature is to the game even now. That's what brought the Philadelphia fans to those yeah. games. And it's still what brings a lot of people to hockey games is that it's it's not it's not I mean, I love football and I, I really appreciate that they're trying to make it a safer game. Um that's not what hockey really is. Is yeah. And these guys aren't out there. I mean you watch them I don't think you're gonna see hockey players sue the league after they leave no. either. They 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 kind of are more this is what I signed up for. Yeah, it's, this is this is the only thing that they've ever wanted to do, and they're going to do it come hell or high water. I mean, you watch these guys take a puck to the mouth seven teeth later, you know, and this is another HBO reference, but, you know, big gashes, seven teeth come out, clean out the shards, yeah. stitch it up, and get back out there, you know? Yeah. And another funny thing, I saw this on Facebook, I should, just a, a last closing thing, speaking of the physicality and the toughness. Yeah. Um. They showed a picture of LeBron James being carried off a basketball court with a leg, with a leg cramp. Yeah. They were like, they were like, leg cramp, carried off the court five minutes. And then they showed a Boston Bruins player, I can't remember who it was, who was still skating on the ice. He's like, broken leg, finished the game. <laughs> He's a hockey player. Yeah. Well, uh, I think one thing that's clear is that if you like hockey or if you want to get into it, because I'm sort of starting to try to get into yeah. it, HBO's a really good investment. Um, expensive, though. Yeah, it's, I mean... Listening, especially because they do it, they don't bleep out the swears. Thank God. And it makes it just, just a gem. You know, the whole yeah. thing is just so fun to listen to these guys. Um, they, it's a different breed. They're weirdos. The uh, ping, ping pong, did you remember that? The ping pong in the locker room on DM Phaneuf? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, God, who else was it? I can't remember, but, uh, uh, I think it's Kessel. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just weird. Just cool guys though. Yeah. Personalities and even with the Broad Street Bully thing, just personalities that you would gravitate towards. Um, I wanted, this is impromptu. We didn't talk about it too much before the podcast, but before we take a break, um, I wanted to touch a bit on, uh, back to the NFL, two coaching candidates I've heard, uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. And I like, we're in St. Paul, you know, we're surrounded by it. So we're going to talk some Vikings, but I really like the, the idea of both candidates here, um, that I've heard at least rumored on ESPN, Greg Roman, the mm -hmm. offensive coordinator for San Francisco. Does that make you sad? Yeah, but I'd be, he, he deserves it. He, he's, he's reshaped that offense. He made Alex Smith into a player. Um, and he probably designs the best running game in football. I like that. I would be sad, but, but, but he deserves it. And then Mike Zimmer, mm -hmm. um, from the Bengals, who has been overlooked for far too long. Yeah. He is a old school football coach. He would be the disciplinarian, I think, that Minnesota needs. Yeah. I think that under Leslie Frazier, he's such a good guy. Yeah. That give an inch and players will take a mile. You won't get a centimeter with Mike Zimmer. Right. So I like both ideas. And, and the reason I like Roman, like I said, you would probably go from Bill Musgrave, the least volume of offensive plays to the most expensive yeah. playbook yeah. in the NFL. And with Adrian Peterson, I mean, look at what he's done for Frank Gore's career. He's having a 1200 yard season at age 30. Adrian Peterson's still smacking his prime. And if you could get Khalil and some of those tight ends and load hold, out in space with better blocking schemes, that running game could be lethal. And then bring a quarterback in, and, and, and the way they could use Cordero Patterson also in that yeah. running game, I just think Greg Roman, the possibilities are endless. And then with Zimmer, like I said, you get somebody that is not going to put up any BS. Yeah. Um, and, I don't and, see Roman as a guy that would either, to be honest. No, with not, not coming from Harbaugh, I don't mm -hmm. think so. Um, but but I think, I, I think uh, Zimmer could really get that defense playing uh, with a draft and, and get maximize the talent a little bit better. Who, do you like both candidates and who do you like more? I do like both. I, I'm gonna I would lean towards Roman just because offensive. the the offensive 
nature of the league these days. Yeah. And especially if you're going to bring in a brand new, spanking new quarterback, I don't think Bill Musgrave's a guy to develop him. No. So, and I think you might see, along with Roman, you might get some people from the 49ers staff. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Chief Chris is, is the quarterback coach there. You might get him to, to do a, a promotion to offensive coordinator. I like the name Jeep. Yeah. I met a guy named Jeep. G-E-E-P, Chris. G? Yeah. I met a guy, Jeep spelled like the car. J-E-E-P. Built like a Jeep. He was. Um, so I, you know, I, I just like, think. I do like Greg Roman. Though. Yeah. I, I think it's smart for Minnesota. They need a departure from, they, they need a smarter guy. Yeah. They need a guy that is going to be an innovator. Your offensive guru. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not a guy that says, well, we're just going to simplify the playbook and throw screens. I got my card here. Yeah. Uh, it's got seven plays on it. Yeah. It's a post-it from my wife. Um, no, I like that. I, I, I would really like to pair Greg Roman with your, your Bridgewater type or yeah. a, a really. A Manziel, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, what could, you know, better with, than with that kind of speed in the backfield, I, I think. And maybe, know, I mean, God forbid, maybe he helps. Put Christian Ponder in the point. Christian Ponder in the right direction. That, yeah, but, I mean, look at what, like I said, look at what happened with Alex Smith when he just got a guy that said, "I'm going to play to your strengths. You're not the most physically talented guy in the world, but you don't have to be." Yeah. Um. And one season later, the Niners are 13 and three, and in the yeah. NFC title game. So, the Vikings have plenty of talent on offense, and even if they don't get that Bridgewater type guy, um, I, I think with the right coach, they could certainly turn it around pretty quickly. Maybe they'll trade for the first overall pick. Perhaps. Mm, perhaps. Gives you a tummy ache just thinking about it. A lot of, lot of moving parts to that. Let's take a break. Okay. And then when we come back, my favorite segment of all time, answer me these questions three, where I pose Ben weird questions and he does the same for me. That's coming up on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back into the podcast, that last musical selection. I don't, even, I don't even know what it is. It brought tears to my eyes. It was emotional. It was moving. It was selected by Eric. Sexual. DJ Lejeune. It was sexual and violent, just like most things that Eric does. Yeah. Mostly sexual, partially violent. Yeah. Um, ben Sherman. Yes. Answer me these questions. You love saying that. Oh, yeah. it, just, it, just, it just brings me back to Monty Python when I, I still had hope for life yeah. when I was a child. Fills you with just an unparalleled joy. There was still humor in the universe before life, life sucked it out. There are those who call me Tim. There are those who call me Tim. Ben Sherman. Yes. First question. Okay. If you were choosing a last meal, let's say you're on death row, okay. which is probable, Yep. what would that last meal be? It's tough. Probably be down to two things. Okay. Um, Who's cooking it, too? Tell me that. Who's cooking it? Is it Mom? Mm. Mama Sherman? No. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> but no. Um, I would go for a nice, either either a nice uh, nice sirloin yeah. with a baked potato, Ooh. some asparagus, yeah. big glass of red wine. Oh, yeah. Or I would go for um, a little bit of uh, Little Caesar's. Deep dish pizza. <laughs> Maybe a hot and ready. Yeah, hot and ready deep dish <laughs> with, a, with a six pack of Mexican beer. You're a real cheap date. I am. That's what I'm not on the, on the other end, you know, that's a, that's a nice, I want, that's I a nice want a good, I want a good $60 steak. Um, Probably both the steak and the wine. Yeah, and then maybe a little little CZ's as uh, dessert. Both. Yeah. And then an apple pie. Some ice cream. You get really hungry. Chocolate. I am too. It's lunchtime. 
Um, second question. If you could bring back an extinct species, what would it be and why? An extinct species, eh? Um, I guess I would go for... Hmm, that's a tough question. I know. I like to think about it because I'm always sad yeah. that Jurassic Park isn't real. Right. Um, I would go for uh, The Missing Link. Okay. Because I'm just curious about what it is. Like and to play with him? So we could study him. Yeah. And See if we could teach him like card tricks? Yeah. Just like um, Brendan Fraser in Encino Man. Yeah. Only... He was more... like The Missing Link except he was completely human. Yeah, he was totally human. But he that was, was really good. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Shoish! Um, final question. Okay. Who is the most beloved figure, not maybe the greatest, but the most beloved figure in Minnesota sports history? Okay. I wrote down some ideas. Okay. I, I, I have my answer, but you read off your ideas. These, okay. Adrian Peterson, Bud Grant, took you to four Super Bowls, didn't get one, but Fran Tarkenton, Jim Marshall, Chris Carter, CC, Kevin Garnett, Kent Herbeck, from Kent Herbeck Outdoors, yep. has his own show, Kirby Puckett, my friend had a, a cat named Kirby Puckat. Uh, Joe Maurer, Jack Morris, John Randall, and one of my favorites, but probably not at all the answer, Randall McDaniel. Uh, Randall's, Randall's second on my list, only because wow. he, he holds a spot in my heart. He's did really I, good. Did I tell you about him? About that when they were doing the Metrodome Memories thing? No. He would be always, and this is just a sidebar, he would always be the first one in the locker room, and no one could ever figure out how. It like... <laughs> They had like like uh, I think it was John Randall was talking about it because he and he and Randall McDaniel got along really well and yeah. um, he credits Randall McDaniel for making him the defensive player. He Practice was. against each other every, yeah. every day. So he'd be like, yeah, I'd get there. His car wouldn't be in the parking lot, and I'd rush. I mean, because it, and it's a long ways, I guess, from the player's entrance down to the kind locker of the room. bowels of the Metrodome. And he he'd rush down there, and he'd be like, and I'd get there, and Randall was doing his thing, sitting in his locker eating candy like he always would. <laughs> and he had like some secret entrance that he used. To get to the locker room, and he told everyone it's a secret, and he refused to share it. How that guy hid yeah. from anyone yeah. is amazing. So that was his thing. Like other guys would like read or like stretch out before the game. He'd sit in his locker watching everyone silently and eating candy. <laughs> but uh, that said, it's got to be Kirby. Kirby Puckett. Oh, there's no. Com- there's nothing. There's no comparison. I mean, almost single-handedly responsible for two World, World series. series. Also kind of adorable. Very. I mean, in in my lifetime, especially. Yeah. Um, can't beat him. Probably, I got a Kirby Puckett jersey at home. Probably brought more glory via sports to this state than, than anyone else. The I only, say. I mean, in recent memory, the only two uh, professional sports championships. Yeah. Besides the links. I did see the World Series trophies, though. Oh, yeah? I got to see them through a window. Did you almost steal them? Uh, no. They used to do this thing when we were little. I was in elementary school. Uh, roller Dome. They, you'd go to the Metrodome and pay like five bucks and you could rollerblade around the concourses in circles for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, the Metrodome was almost like, it's kind of sad because it was like a, a community center yeah. on, on the nights that I was listening. They have this new show on ESPN radio uh, on Sunday mornings. Great for when you're driving hungover. Yeah, um, and it's just all about, it, it's called Made in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, you know, the, the multiple uses of the Metrodome. Despite its, its poor qualities, it had a lot of it, had a, it has a lot of significance to the community here. Played football in the Metrodome three times, three or four times. Once as the slot receiver for the Vikings. Yes, uh, that AstroTurf was the worst thing. And he, I was like, I think I was like in sixth grade. It's like landing on concrete. You'd like fall down. It was like concrete with like shards of really 
stabby, pointy, like, make-your-skin-bleed fake grass. Gives you a newfound respect for what those guys did. Oh, it was so terrible. All right, I want three questions. Answer me these questions trois. Ooh, French. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Adam Hawking. Adam Gray. Yep. If you could transform yourself into one current professional athlete, who would it be and why? Oh, man, this is an awesome question. Um, I mean... Just if I wanted to, like, experience the peak of athleticism, it would be LeBron James, but I don't want to be him. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would have to say Colin Kaepernick. Because he plays for my favorite team. He has virtually no athletic limitations. You can make all the throws and run. And with my dedication to the 49ers, there would be no stopping us. Because I would insist on playing defense, too. You'd never leave the clubhouse. No. You'd live in there. I would would sit on Jim Harbaugh's lap all day. His pants looked extra big. I think he had, like, three layers of underwear what? under there. Like, and then he had, like, insist- an inflatable blow-up coat so yeah. that he could still wear his sweater over it. He insisted on maintaining his outfit, and yeah. he was like, I'm just going to buy pants that are four sizes bigger. I told yeah, I told my wife, this will be the first game you don't see Jim Harbaugh in his general khakis and sweater. I was wrong. Yeah. He refuses. My uh, professional athlete, Rafa Nadal. Ooh, that's a good one. I would choose Federer, even though he's a little past his prime tennis-wise, yeah. just because dude's got every shot in the book. He does. And he's Swiss. I like Rafa because he's younger. Yeah. Uh, he's more intense. Yeah. He definitely gets laid way more. And one huge left bicep, and then his other bicep is kind of small, which yeah. is bizarre. Yeah, just like my testicles. Yeah, that's true. Uh, number two, answer me this question, duh. Okay. Which remaining NFL playoff team would you be least upset about the 49ers losing to? Oh. You had to choose one. Okay, so there's Carolina... There's could even be a Super Bowl too. You okay, could, you could choose okay. an AFC team. So there's Carolina, New Orleans, Seattle. Seattle would obviously be the one I'd be most upset about losing to. Although that's probably the most likely if they are going to lose scenario. And then on the AFC side, New England, Indy, San Diego, and Denver. Denver. I guess I would almost say Denver because it would it would be hard to make the Super Bowl and lose again. That would really be heartbreaking. But our spec Peyton Manning, I think they are. One of the top three teams. I think San Francisco, Seattle, and Denver are the best three teams. Um, I get, or, or I wouldn't mind Tom Brady getting maybe a final ring. Jeez. Yeah. Um, this is a two-part question, so there's a follow-up. Oh, I don't like Cam Newton, but it would be the best if it just ended now, if it's going to end. Yeah. I can't answer. It's I, too, I can't do I it. I didn't think you could. But I, I'm already depressed now. If, you, if it was just on the... Okay, if you... Took fandom out of it, and it was you had to pick one other team to win. That maybe, I want that's to win. Easy, maybe that's okay. an easier question. I guess I would say Denver. Denver? I think Peyton um, is probably the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, but he's held back by, and maybe rightfully so, by his playoff record. I think if he wins a second ring, we can put that to bed forever, and we don't have to deal with that conversation, which is kind of tiresome. And how long will you be forlorn if they lose? I need a... I need a, a Time estimate. Until they win another Super Bowl. Weeks? It took forever. Last it was probably until the season started again. That like, was sad. Did you but you still got out got it up for the draft and Yeah, I was still excited for the draft and I mean I guess you look at San Francisco and they're still a young team. Kaepernick is young, Crabtree, Vernon Davis still in their primes. The offensive line is good and young and, and most of the defense is young. So I mean hope springs eternal for, for sports fans, but you don't get to the I mean, if they win this week, this will be their third straight NFC title game that they've reached, which is pretty unprecedented. And you don't get opportunities like that every year. So it, it'll be pretty hard. Um, so that, that's the hardest part about this time of year is every game is just 
pulse pounding. Now here's a little candy to end with. Okay. Answer me this question third. Okay. You've been watching The Bachelor? Yeah, I watched uh, the it debuted last night. Mm-hmm. Filled out my uh, my bracket. Got to tweak it though. I got to tweak it. Um, I have some tweaking to do. Yeah. Um, and you're not talking about their nipples. <laughs> no, well that too. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, if you had to choose one candidate after the first episode, if you were The Bachelor and you had to choose someone, now which one would you choose? Who do I think is going to win, or who would I choose? Who would you choose? I would choose Cat because I think she's really good looking. I like her name. Um, I don't know what she does for a career, yeah. but she seems like she's on my level intellectually. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would have picked Andy. She's really, really pretty, but she's too smart. She's an attorney. She intimidates me, and I'm afraid of her. But I think she is going to win, Andy, but Cat would be my pick. That was the question that took the least amount of thinking. Yeah, I right out of the fired that one quickly. Well, I've been thinking quite a bit about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're doing the hard work of putting together a bracket and hypothetically eliminating these great ladies. It's it's hard stuff. That's all I got. That's the three. That'll end it. Uh, that was quicker than I thought. About an hour-long podcast, but probably the most jam-packed content-wise and the least full of um, erroneous bullshit of, of maybe all of our podcasts. Maybe. But I never feel like they're ever full of erroneous. No, almost only just our last segment, which is probably the most fun segment anyway. Yeah. Erroneous on all counts. If we should name it that. The Welcome worship. to the EB segment. segment. Yeah, but I thought it was fun. Yeah. Um, on Thursday, if our cars start, mm-hmm. we're in the uh, polar vortex right now, yeah. so so don't don't fault us if we can't get another podcast out. But I hopefully on Thursday we can do a full divisional round preview. I think it's the best weekend of football because we've got the hot wild card teams versus the the teams that have really played well all year with the first round buys. A bunch of matchups to look at. Um, so that'll be next time. I don't know what else will come up with, but definitely look forward to on Thursday, divisional round preview. Polar Vortex versus Sharknado. Coming up next time on the podcast. <laughs>